You may be seated. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we just praise you today because you do reign. Lord, you reign over all. And Father, we would just ask now that you would reign through your word. As we look at it this morning, we pray that you would reign in your church, and we pray that you would reign in our hearts. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn to the book of 2 Timothy. We're going to be looking at chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. And thank you to Cliff. Thank you to our praise team and our instrumentalists. It's a very sweet time of worship. Good, good songs that we sang this morning. Well, today's passage in this book marks a transition of sorts. As we now near the end of this letter, Paul kind of switches gears here, and he moves from instructing and challenging Timothy to now reflecting upon his own life and ministry. And that's something that is natural for people to do, particularly as they advance in age, to look back over their life and consider where they've been and what they've done and take stock of both their accomplishments and their regrets. Uh, There's an entire book of the Bible that deals with this very thing. It is the book of Ecclesiastes, a man looking back over his life and looking at both his accomplishments and at the same time, in some ways, wondering what might have been. And so that is, to a large degree, what we see Paul doing in today's text. He's an old man at this point. He's chained in prison for preaching the gospel. He's lived a very full life, and he's reflecting on all that he's been through. And as part of his personal reflection, Paul makes three statements that I want us to look at today. First, he makes a statement about his present condition. Second, he makes a statement about his past life up to this point, or at least his past life as a Christian. And third, he makes a statement about what the future holds for him. And when we put all of these statements together, what we see emerge is the portrait of a faithful life. Not a perfect life, mind you, by any means, but a faithful life. A life with which we can identify and a life that we should seek to emulate. So as we look at this little portrait of Paul's life and ministry today, as we listen in on his own self-reflections, I pray that it will cause us to consider our own life, that we might look inside our own heart at how we are living or perhaps not living for Christ and think about what kind of legacy that we want to leave behind us. So let's start by reading verse 6. And this is what Paul has to say to Timothy about his present condition. He writes, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. Well, that's quite a statement by Paul, isn't it? Paul's basically saying here, That he knows, that he understands, that he does not have a a lot of time left. He knows, he understands that his departure is soon at hand, that he is soon going to die. And, And Christian history tells us that Paul was killed as a martyr for the faith. Now, when Paul makes that statement, you don't really sense any fear or anxiety, do you, in his words? He's just kind of matter of fact about it, like, I'm I'm going to die soon. This is kind of perhaps a little (laughs) irreverent, but I remember watching an old Little Rascals episode one time. You guys ever watch any of those old black and white ones? And I I remember one of the Little Rascals saying, he's going to bump off soon. (laughs) 
Uh, I, I don't know, that imagery just always stuck with me. That was not in my notes, it just came into my head. But Paul knows that he's going to die soon, and, and he's not worried about it. He's not scared about it. He just accepts that. And we think, well, how can he be that way? How can he be so nonchalant about his impending death? Uh, quite simply, I think this speaks to the confidence that Paul has in his Savior. It speaks to the confidence that he has in Jesus. In another place, Paul wrote, For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. In other words, Paul says, I'm okay either way. If I continue living, that just means I get to serve Christ and help bring people to Christ. And if I die, well, then I gain heaven and I gain Christ himself. So it's a win-win proposition. I would just ask you, do you have this same kind of confidence about death? Now, I do want to clarify that I think it's only human to be afraid of dying. We might draw a distinction between being afraid of death and being afraid of dying. Uh, to use a metaphor from John Bunyan's classic book, Pilgrim's Progress, some of you may remember at the end of that book, there's a river that Christian must cross. And it's a deep and a swift river, and that river represents death. And if you remember, it was very frightening to him, and as he was crossing it, he didn't know what was going to happen to him. And of course, he made it safely to the other side to, to go to that heavenly city. But the point is, death, the act of dying, rather, can be a little intimidating, can be a little uncertain. However, the point is, we do know what's on the other side. We know what awaits us as followers of Christ. We know the Bible says that eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. And we know that God will bring us safely across that river to that blessed Land. And so we don't have to be afraid of death. We can have the same confidence that Paul has if our faith is in Jesus. But the thing I really want us to focus on in verse 6 is the first thing Paul says, because there's some really powerful imagery in this verse. He says, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. Now this statement is tied to what Paul told Timothy at the end of verse 5. Um, when we looked at that last week. Paul told Timothy there in that verse to fulfill your ministry, which means to bring it to completion. Remember, we talked last week about not coasting to the finish line of life, right? Not just kind of putting it in park and crawling quietly into the grave, but rather finishing strong, giving everything we have for the Lord right up until the very end, because he's worthy of that. That's what Paul challenges Timothy to do, and that's what we see Paul himself doing in verse 7. And the metaphor that he uses to illustrate that is a drink offering. A drink offering goes back to the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. There were certain sacrifices made regarding which the Lord instructed the people to pour out strong wine onto the altar, anywhere from half a quart to two quarts of strong wine, depending on the kind of sacrifice it was. And this wine, applied to the fire on the altar and mixed with the sacrifice itself, the scripture says would make a sweet-smelling aroma in the nostrils of God. Well, what was the point of that drink offering? What was the point of pouring out wine onto the altar? It was a visual picture of the blood of Christ that would be spilt for us, that would be poured out for us on the cross of Calvary. Remember, all the Old Testament 
points to Jesus, right? It's all pointing to him. Paul is saying here, my life is like that drink offering. Even now, I am being poured out every last drop for the glory of God and for the spread of the gospel. When Paul's life is over, there will be absolutely nothing left in his vessel. He will have put every last breath, every last ounce of strength he had on the altar as a sacrificial gift to his Lord Jesus Christ. Now, church, that is the way that we are called to live. Every last drop for Jesus. But you and I both know all too often that we fall short of that standard. All too often, we're selfish with our time. We're lazy. We're apathetic. We're distracted in our service to the Lord by earthly things. May God help us to live for him and serve him with every last drop of our life so that when we reach the end of our days, there's nothing left in our vessel, no fuel left in the tank at all because we've used it all to serve the Lord. He's worthy of that. Amen? May we be found faithful. So that's Paul's present condition. He is being, he says, poured out as a drink offering, even as he writes this letter, even as he sits in his cell. But then in verse 7, Paul moves from the present now to reflecting on his past. So let's look at that verse, verse 7. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. As Paul looks back over his earthly life, he uses three different illustrations to say essentially the same thing. Essentially what he's saying here is, I never quit. I persevered. I kept going. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now the first thing I want to point out concerning this verse, and perhaps the obvious thing if you know much about Paul's life, is that for the first half of Paul's life, he was an enemy of Jesus Christ. He persecuted Christians. He killed Christians. So how then can Paul look back on his life and say that he has remained faithful to God? Well, here's what Paul understood and, and we need to understand as well. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The moment that we surrender our life to Jesus Christ, God makes us a brand new creation from the inside out. The Bible even says that he gives us a new name. We are literally not who we used to be. Now, the enemy loves to throw in our face who we used to be before we came to Christ. And he loves to pile up on us shame and, and regret. But I would say to you that if the Apostle Paul, who killed Christians for a living can look back on his life and say with total peace and confidence, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith, that you and I can do that as well. As Christians, we don't have to live with shame and guilt from our past because we've been washed, we've been made new by the blood of the Lamb. But back to the main point of verse 7, once Paul came to Christ, once that transition happened in his life, that road to Damascus that day, he never quit serving him. He never quit living for the Lord. Now, I do want you to note, this is subtle, but I think it's important, 
There's nothing said in verse 7 about winning the fight. There's nothing said in verse 7 about winning the race. The emphasis is on being in the fight. The emphasis is on finishing the race, on keeping the faith. There may be days in our walk with Christ when we don't feel like we're winning the fight. There may be days in our walk with Christ when we don't feel like we're winning anything. There may be days when we don't feel like praying. There may be days we don't feel like reading our Bible. There may be days we really struggle with pursuing holiness. There may be days when we succumb to temptation or lose our temper or get discouraged and get disillusioned with the whole thing. The fact of the matter is we're all human. We all have a fallen nature that we struggle with, and we're going to have those days. But here's the point. Here's what we learned from Paul. You cannot quit fighting. You cannot drop out of the race. You cannot lose the faith. You have to keep going. I said this a couple weeks ago, and I'll say it again today. I am convinced that many times victory in the Christian life looks like just continuing to show up, just not quitting. Victory is continuing to get back up, even when you're knocked down, continuing to walk with the Lord one step at a time. And here's the deal. It's not, again, necessarily about winning. You're not in competition with anyone. It's about finishing, finishing. One day when I'm old and gray, Lord willing, if the Lord allows that, I hope and I pray that I can look back over my life and say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. What about you? Will you be able to say those words at the end of your life? There may be someone here today who's thinking about throwing in the towel, who's thinking about quitting, who's thinking about walking away from God and the church and the whole thing and just checking out. I would plead with you, don't do that. Stay the course. Stay faithful. Just keep showing up. Keep putting one foot in front of the other. As Sarah said this morning, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And remember that perseverance above all else, perseverance is the proof of your salvation. Hebrews 10 says, we are not, we Christians, we are not among those who draw back to perdition or destruction, but we are of those who believe to the saving of the soul all the way through. And to those who do finish in the faith, to those who do persevere in Christ, to those who do not fall away, there is a great reward waiting. Look now at verse 8, as the Apostle Paul anticipates his future. He says, Finally there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Last week we discussed the fact that one day Jesus is going to appear. He's going to return. And when he does, as we studied last week, he will judge <clears throat> the living and the dead. Specifically, Jesus will judge Christians at 
the Bema Seat, where we will give an account for our life and will be rewarded according to what we did for the Lord during our time on this earth. It is this day and to this event that Paul is referring in verse 8. And regarding this, Paul has every confidence because of the fact that he has fought the good fight, that he has finished the race, that he has kept the faith, that on that day, the Lord Jesus will reward him with a crown of righteousness. And not only him, but Paul says he will give a crown to all who have loved his appearing. Now, it doesn't say he'll give a crown to all who had good intentions. It doesn't say that he'll give a crown to all who were quote-unquote good people. But it says he'll give a crown to all who loved Jesus, and specifically his appearing. And we know that Jesus said that he is the only way to the Father. In order to be saved, we must put our trust in him and in him alone. And if we do that, this verse says that one day we will receive a crown, the crown of righteousness given to us by the Lord himself. Because 2 Corinthians 5 says that we will be rewarded according to what we have done, many commentators believe that there will be levels of reward in heaven. You might say that some crowns will be a little bigger and heavier than others. But regardless of who has what size crown, it's ultimately not going to matter. Remember, there's no sin in heaven. There's no pride in heaven. Nobody's going to be walking around saying, see my crown? 5.2 pounds. Nobody's going to be bragging about their crown or coveting anyone else's crown. Here's what the book of Revelation depicts in chapter 4. It depicts the elders of heaven taking off their crowns and casting them before the throne of Jesus, saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. And I'm convinced that will be our response as well. I think when we receive our crown, the crown of righteousness, we'll say, thank you, Jesus, but this belongs to you because you alone are worthy. I've shared with you before, I heard a guy say one time, I want to do everything I can for Jesus in this life because when I get to heaven, I cast my crown at his feet, I want it to make a thud. I don't want it to sound like an empty soda can rattling around on the ground. Not so that I look good, but because he's worthy of that. He's worthy. Let me ask you, do you love Jesus? Are you, wow, do you love Jesus? <laughs> I know you do. I'm giving you a hard time. Are you anxiously awaiting his return? Then let us live for him and let us serve him with everything that we have. As we come to a close, dear Christian, we have a wonderful home awaiting us. We have a crown awaiting us. Most importantly, we have the greatest treasure of all. We have the Lord Jesus himself awaiting us. So let us not shrink back. Let us not fall away, but let us pour ourselves out for Jesus every last drop so that one day when we look back over our life, we may be able to say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. If you're here today and you've not given your life to Christ, but you've but you're ready, excuse me, to make that commitment, then I just want to let you know you can do that right now. You can do that right where you are. You don't have to walk an aisle. You don't have to be with a preacher or even in the church building, but you can do it right now. Admit to God that you're a sinner 
in need of a Savior, believe on the Lord Jesus in his death in your place on the cross and in his resurrection from the dead and commit your life fully to him. Call upon his name and he will meet you right where you're at and he'll save you. If you're ready to make that commitment, if you have any questions about that commitment, if you have any questions about following the Lord in baptism or, or joining the church, I would urge you to please just find me after the service and we're dismissed and just say, Josh, I want to talk to you about some things. We'll step in my office and I'd be more than happy to visit with you. Have a whole hour before the next service starts. Pastor Bill would be happy to do the same. We'd love to talk with you about those things that you come find us. I want to leave you today with a poem. I don't read a lot of poems. You know, the joke is three points in a poem, right? For a good sermon. But I think this one is good, and it expresses the main point of our text today very well. So just listen to these words. Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind, would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one, soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life, twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life, twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens and hopes and fears, each with its clays that I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. Only one life, twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep. In joy or sorrow, thy word to keep. Faithful and true, whate'er the strife. Pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn. And from the world now let me turn. Living for thee and thee alone bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say, "Twas worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Will you bow your heads with me? Lord, we thank you for the gift of life. Thank you for bringing us into life. Thank you for bringing us into this world and experiencing your grace and your goodness and your kindness. Lord, your word says that our life is just a vapor. It's, it's here for a short time and then it passes away. Help us to remember that, Lord, and help us to live every last minute, every last second we have for your glory, serving you. And Lord, we praise you because we know that you are faithful to us and that one day you will give us a crown 
And we, in turn, Lord, will give it back to you because you are worthy. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, Cliff and praise team, will you please come, instrumentalists? And we're going to have our closing song today. Let's stand at this time. We're going to sing a familiar song, but let's sing it like we mean it. And in the chorus of this song, it talks about one day I'll exchange that old rugged cross for what? For a crown. Think about those words as you sing them today.